I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Let me read that again. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You know, we're in the middle of a 21-day fast and prayer. How are you guys doing? You guys doing okay? Doing good. <laughs> and, uh, and for many of us, we're in this place where we're on our knees in this fast, and we're believing for things right now where we are, and we can't see the answer to our prayers yet. How many of us are in a place where there's something we're believing for right now and we don't see it yet? Probably every single one of us, right? So this message is actually called the now but not yet. The now but not yet. And what I want to talk about is the waiting rooms of life. And when you think about faith, faith is amazing because faith gives us confidence. What does it give us confidence in? It gives us confidence in the nature and the goodness of our God. See, we live in a world where we see things that are falling apart but see, we are bearers of his image. We are bringers of his kingdom. So therefore, we have faith in his goodness. And we are to bring that to the brokenness that we see outside of these four walls. See, we have faith in a God that is good and is kind. It's our assurance. And then what is hope? It's our expectation. that something good, something amazing is about to happen as we connect and love others. As we know that our God is good and he has more than enough for us. And what about even just, just the things that we don't yet see? See, I want us to get good at waiting well. See, as New Yorkers, we love waiting, don't we? Why are you just laughing? See, we love waiting. We love waiting for our subway. We love waiting for the subway when it's delayed. We love it when we're on the subway and it stops and it's delayed for a long time and you're in like the, I can smell everything. You know, those moments, they're our favorite. We love waiting. We love it. We love waiting when everybody else's train is going by. Even on the other side of the platform, you're like, congratulations, everyone. <laughs> we love waiting when, you know, it's pouring down rain and everyone else got to the Ubers and the lifts before you did. And you, the, the, the subway stop is too far away for you to walk in the rain because you didn't wear your rain boots because you thought, oh, it's not going to rain. And then there's the downpour. And then you go out to wait for a taxi and you're holding your umbrella and you're so angry because they all have their lights off because it's the middle of like four and five o'clock. And we're all switching over. My favorite. I love waiting. I'm like, well, someone just pick me up. I don't care who you are. <laughs> okay, I kind of care. What about waiting for that guy to ask you out? <laughs> we love waiting. We love waiting. What about, you know, waiting for your plane to actually take off? We are 26th in line for takeoff. That's my favorite. I'm, like, I'm just going to try to go to sleep. Um, those are, those are not good times. You just want to get to your destination, but no, we already have to go on the flight, but we're going to wait a little bit longer. That's, that's the best. What about waiting for that callback? You're waiting for that callback. You had that audition. You're waiting, and you haven't heard yet. You start to question who you are, how you're doing. What about waiting for that job to come through, the dream job, or just the job? Because you need the job. What about that? 
What about waiting for that to come through or the right apartment? You've been dreaming about this apartment. You're praying for this apartment, waiting for that to come through. What about waiting for miracles to take place in your body or in somebody else's body? Waiting for people to be healed and made whole or yourself in different ways. What about in that waiting What about waiting for there to be miracles in our marriages? What about waiting for that or our sons and daughters to turn back to Jesus or to Jesus? What about waiting for God to speak about what's next? The waiting, it's so much fun, isn't it? (laughs) You know when you're in a waiting room to see a doctor and you get there on time, so you've scheduled it out, like I've got this time to this time before I have to be back at work or I have to be back, and you get to the doctor and you are on time, and he is not on time. (laughs) Or she. They're not on time. And you're sitting there, doctor, dentist, whatever it is, and you're frustrated because you're sitting in this waiting room knowing I'm going to see the doctor. So you've got faith. You're going to see the doctor. It's an assurance. But seriously, it is not happening. And then when you finally get in there, it takes forever. And then your whole day is messed up because you have to rearrange your schedule. Well, welcome to following Jesus. Right? You're just like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Wait. The answer didn't come how I wanted it to come. This is messing up my whole plan. But waiting, the waiting is frustrating. And waiting is is honestly what we do a lot. Life can feel like a waiting room, can't it? Sometimes we live in the tension of now unfolding. See, life is happening in front of us in the now while we're waiting for the not yet. But so often we're not living present to where we are. Because we're hoping and waiting and grasping at something that's out there when the extraordinary is taking place right in front of you. There is opportunity. Life is laden with opportunity right now. If we would just wake up, it could change everything. I think about Abraham. And I love him because Abraham was what was called the father of nations. And he's in the very beginning of the Bible is where you will find him. And his story is phenomenal. Him and many of the patriarchs, but um, they give us hope because they were obedient. Listen to this. They were obedient even though they didn't always know why or where they were going. They were obedient even if they didn't see the promise fulfilled in their lifetime. See, we're like, I'll obey if you do what I say, God. It's like, whoa, is God a cell phone that we can put in our pocket and go do what I want? But we treat God like he is small enough to fit in there, and we're like, okay, you fit into my schedule. He's like, no, I am God. Feel free to trust me. <laughs> and see, Abraham, I love him because he had this crazy, radical, unselfish trust and surrender in the way he lived his life. Hebrews 11, 9 through 16. Hebrews 11, 9 through 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Seriously, many of us will not do that. We're like, give me the 10 steps and then I will go. But see, life with God's an adventure. It's about listening to that whisper, that brush on the neck. Okay, I'll go this way. And then you just find out (laughs) what's next. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward, like most of us are, to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. See, this is the thing. We've got to get good at this. If he promised something, whether you see it in your lifetime or not, you hold on to his goodness, his character, who he is. And so from this one man, 
and he was as good as dead. How funny is the Bible? That's how they talked about it. He was almost dead. <laughs> but she had a baby from him. <laughs> Came to send, that's funny. <laughs> Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as sand on the seashore. See, Abraham didn't see that, but he trusted that that's what God was going to do through his one son of promise, right? He just said, I don't know how you're going to do this, God, but even though I'm closing my eyes and going off into eternity, I trust that you're going to do what you said you would do. Do we have faith like that? Or are we like, I need to see it in my lifetime or I'm not sure I'm going to follow you anymore. It says this, and for, Gina, I love you. <laughs> sorry, Gina's laugh. Anyways, sorry, Liberty Life. Verse 13, all these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. See, let's just stop there for a minute. Many of us need to stop thinking about what was, burn our boats, and be obedient with what is and where God is taking us. Instead, they were not longing. They, instead, they were. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Aren't they amazing? They lived so present and obedient and surrendered while they were waiting. They were waiting for the promise to be fulfilled while they waited. Oftentimes, we don't live present, investing ourselves right now where we are, because we are still looking out for something better than now. So we don't thrive now because we're waiting for not yet to come and then we'll invest. Then we'll put roots down. Then we'll do something greater. Sometimes we think that transcendence or all of these different things are the answer to go beyond or all of these things. We're looking for these moments to happen. Otherwise, we think we're doing something wrong or we're failing if our prayers aren't answered. And so we feel like we're not good enough when God wants us to be so wide awake in our now. Because now is a gift. And I think I am more awake to this right now. Because my mother-in-law, we're on our knees, and I know many of you are praying for that miracle. My mother-in-law, who has brain cancer, and they've said it's inoperable, there's nothing we can do. And we're like, all right, well then we will fast, and we will pray. But see, I'm living right now present to her and to life and moments, even though we haven't yet seen the miracle. Life is a gift. Now is a gift. Now is laden with possibility and connection to others. Now is the time for miracles and transformation and destiny. Now is the opportunity to be obedient and present and see change in our lives. Not in the not yet where you don't live, but now. Now. If we would just wake up to the now, everything could change in our society. If we would wake up in our workplaces, wake up in our families, wake up at the dinner table, wake up and get off of our phones and look at each other, everything would change. Everything. You know, my kids are so funny because Paul and I will often say just this line to them in some way, shape, or form, you know, mommy and dad are going to take care of dinner plans and we'll work it out. 
Not five minutes later, one, if not all four of them at different times come in and ask us, are we going to eat? And I'm like, whoa. Okay, number one, do you trust me? Yeah. Did I say, what did I say? That you and dad are going to make out, work out, make out, yeah, <laughs> and work out. <laughs> that too. But you and dad, sorry. <laughs> you and dad are going to work out dinner plans. Yeah, you did say that. So do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. Our cupboard's full. Yes. Do we have more than enough? Yes. Then just wait and we'll take care of the plans. But this is often what we're like with God. He's like, hey, I'm going to take care of this, this, and this. And you're like, um, I just have a question. Are you going to take care of that thing you said you're going to take care of? He's like, whoa. <laughs> this message that I'm going to bring to you this morning is really, it's truly, it's all about trust. It's about trust. Faith, trust in the now, in the waiting rooms of life, trusting that you're going to see the doctor, trusting that the not yet will be fulfilled, whether you see it with your own eyes or not, trusting that God is true to his promises and his character is good and he is kind, trusting him even when you don't get what you want. There's this picture, and I don't know, it might be kind of cut off. I think you have that little, the little picture that I, I sent that I've seen on the internet um, a few times. Do you have that picture, guys? There it is. Have you seen that? But how much is that our lives? So we're like, I don't want to let go of my teddy bear. And God's like, just trust me. Just lay it down and give it to me. Just surrender. And we're like, nope, I like this. I like all of my stuff. <laughs> and he's like, honestly, if you trust me, see, this is, this is our God. He's good and he's kind and he has something different for you, bigger for you. He has what's next for you, but you got to trust him. So I'm going to just go through a couple of things. Who wants to learn how to wait well? Anybody up for that? Because I am learning as we go. We are all in this together. So I'm just going to go through a few things this morning of how we can get better at waiting well. Number one is this. It's unselfishly. To wait well, we've got to wait unselfishly. Let me read to you from Matthew 16, 25 through 27. Matthew 16, 25 through 27. For whoever wants to save their life and hold on to their teddy bear will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Whew. That's a big scripture right there. There's a lot going on in there. But the truth is, is we look at the life of Jesus, and what did he do? He laid down his life. He surrendered it all for others. He was the most unselfish person. See, I love reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in this season of my life, I really feel to just go through the Gospels over and over and over again and go, okay, so where do I need to be following Jesus? If I'm created in the image of God, he is my father, I'm being redeemed, I'm a bearer of his image, and I'm following Jesus, how am I to be living? And I see that a big thing is laying down our lives, our thoughts, our ideals, and, and learning, Jesus, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? Oftentimes what we're doing, though, is we're looking to gain the whole world. Think about your prayer list for a minute. 
And there's no condemnation in this because I have things that I'm praying for for myself as well in this fast. But a lot of times, the size of our list is more about us gaining something than it is about laying down our lives to pray and sacrifice for others, isn't it? Right? And that's just, that is human nature. But we are now bearers of the image of God when we are born again. So therefore, as we become more like him, we learn more how to lay our lives down and love others well. Because the other thing is this, is gaining the whole world. I mean, we can lose ourselves in that. But he is our very great reward. He is our very great reward. Most times, I think even we're trying to be comfortable. But this life in the waiting room it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit frustrating. And when we lay down our lives, we actually find our lives. You know, I'm, I just want you to know I'm going to throw at you multiple C.S. Lewis quote, quotes this morning. Because has anyone ever read the Screwtape Letters? It's a very good book. Write it down. Screwtape Letters. Well, read all of the C.S. Lewis. <laughs> but listen to this. He's, his quote says this. He wrote this. When he, God talks of their losing their selves. He means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts, I am afraid sincerely, that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. Isn't that interesting? Many of us are crying out and going, who am I? What's my identity? How do I, you know, I don't know who I am. And he's like, lay it all down and you will find out who you truly are. Because if you're a bearer of his image, he wants to give all of himself to you. Show who he is so that you can bear his image wherever you go. Isn't this amazing? And the enemy wants to get you into a place where you're only thinking about yourself and who am I and how can I be better? How can I achieve more? He's like, just stop thinking about that. Lay it all down. Give that to me. And then look at me. Read my words, listen to my voice, sit with me, meditate with me. You will understand more who you are. I will give you your whole self. You will understand. You want to be whole? Lay it all down. <sighs> Amen? You're like, <sighs> this is the uncomfortable one. Hey, unselfishly. But we have to do that purposefully. Look, I have four kids. Half the time I just want them to feed themselves, take care of themselves, do everything for themselves. And mommy's going to sleep. But that's just not going to work. <laughs> I am constantly reminded that I have to live an unselfish life. So, <laughs> and this fast is helping us be reminded, isn't it? Whatever it is that you're sacrificing, whatever it is that you're laying down, it is denying yourself, picking up your cross and following him, being more like him. Amen? All right, number two is this. Be present in the waiting room. Be present in the waiting room. So we wait unselfishly and we need to be present while we're in the waiting room. This is what I love about Jesus is that Jesus wasn't standing, you know, because after we're done here, we're going to hang out here for a while. We're just all chat with each other. But Jesus wasn't like having a conversation with someone and kind of like looking past them at who's next, especially that guy you're hoping will ask you out. He wasn't, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't looking past somebody going, he was praying for them. He was engaged with them. He was looking them in the eyes. He was present in the moment. Once again, go and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at how present this man was. 
to every circumstance and situation. So what I want to do is I want to read to you a story where he was present even when he was on the way going somewhere else. See, we're New Yorkers, so therefore we are always on a mission. And a lot of times on our mission, we forget to stop and be present, don't we? So we've got to get good at being present. Matthew 9, um, 9, 18 through 26. Matthew 9, 18 through 26. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus put it in his calendar and went five days later. No? Okay. It says, Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Do you love the immediacy, the urgency, and how compassion moved Jesus in the now? The now moment. He wasn't looking far off for an appointment. He was like, okay, let's go. Just then, see, he's on his way. He goes on a mission. He's walking with his disciples and with this leader. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And in other accounts in the Gospels, it says that there was a crowd pressing in on him. So this was an intense walk to his destination. And a woman came up and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. This is what I want to point out. He could have walked and went, oh, someone just got healed. Cool. I'm so awesome. <laughs> right? I mean, he's Jesus. I mean, congratulations. I'm glad you had faith to get that. But he didn't do that. He's like, oh my gosh, my daughter, she just got healed. Let me be present and look her in the eyes and tell her her true identity, which is my daughter, not sick woman, not the woman with the issue of blood, not the woman who has been banished to be away from him. She's my daughter. He was present and he astounded everybody at his presence in that moment. Because I mean, a girl had died. They're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, think about that moment. If I was one of his disciples, I'd be like, this guy's driving me crazy. Like we're on a mission here, buddy. But he stopped and he was present. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed in that moment. But then he kept going. He took a moment, was present, kept going. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. I love Jesus. So harsh. Oh, you guys, get out of here. The girl is not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, <laughs> Put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all of that region. Do you love how present he is? Do you love that even in this moment when he was on a mission to go somewhere else, he stopped, he looked somebody in the eyes. Guys, can we get better at stopping and looking people in the eyes? Stopping and giving people love? Stopping and acknowledging their presence? Do you know what my kids need? My kids need me to put my dumb phone down and look them in the eyes. My kids need me. And you know what? I, 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 when, when we're home, we've started this thing over the last couple of weeks where we started having these board game nights. And my kids want every night to be board game night. Do you know why? Because we're all present. We're all there. We're all with each other. That's why family dinners are so important. One thing I am telling you, and I don't know why because then I'm accountable, is I, <laughs> I am committed to cooking more. See, I order in more, and we sit at the table together. <laughs> but I'm committed to cooking more. Why? I mean, I read your article. We, we feed those we love. Ashley's mom taught her that. Ashley does that for her. And I'm like, that's something that I want to do more. And you know what I found out this week? I'm a pretty good cook, guys. <laughs> I was like, 
I am awesome. I knew I was a good baker. But I can actually cook too. So, but I want to be intentional in being present in the now because one day my kids are going to be gone out of my house and I'm going to miss these moments of chaos. <laughs> yeah, Rendells, you feel me? Okay. You think about the people walking down the street and how just stopping for a moment, if you have this prompt where you feel like, oh, I want to encourage that person, just stop, do it, be present to somebody who probably needs that encouragement that day, whether that's your cashier or that person at work that needs to pour out their soul. You see that something's wrong. You're like, hey, do you want to grab dinner after work tonight? I'd love to chat. And then guess what you get to do? You get to tell them about the love of God or just be the love of God. Either works. Be present, notice, care about people. Even if it's a job you hate, you can bring the love of God where you are. You can bear his image. Do you want to make your workplace better? Bring it. <laughs> bring it. All right. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. There's more to come. This is what's interesting. C.S. Lewis said in the Screwtape Letters, for the present is the point at which time touches eternity. See, <sighs> yes, I love you. I want to be like you. Okay, think about that. Jesus came from eternity. He entered time. And Jesus was present. We carry Jesus within us. We are bearers of the image of God. Therefore, our present moments, not our somewhere in the distance when we're better and we have it all together, our now moments are the moments where time and eternity can touch, where we can bring the kingdom of heaven to somebody's life in the present moment. This morning, man, I got up so early. I'm having crazy dreams on this fast. I tell you what, and I got up so early, I couldn't sleep, and I was journaling and praying, and in the back room, and then in walks Jesse, my cuddle bug. Most of them are. They're all high touch. And, and you know what? He just laid there on me. And I said, are you okay? I'm just going to pray. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. We're going to, he's like, yeah. So I just prayed, and he just laid there with me, and I was like, oh my gosh. You know those moments where you're just so present? And I wasn't like, Hey, kid, get out of here. I'm having time with Jesus. <laughs> Not great discipleship of my children. <laughs> but it was this beautiful time together. And I just want us to get good at being present. Because as New Yorkers, you guys, we're not so good at it. And we can be better because we're followers of Jesus. Number three is this. In purposeful solitude. Jesus was intentional in his waiting, in purposeful solitude. It was purposeful. And I want to say this, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Isolation is about self-protection from society, whereas solitude is preparation for society. Isolation is about self-protection from society, whereas solitude is preparation for society. Every single time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these pretty quickly. I have a few scriptures in chronological order of Jesus going into solitude in many different ways. But every single time there was purpose in his solitude. See, the man was crowded all the time. There was people around him 
always. So he had to pull back to be with his father to come back with a purpose to give to them, with food to give. So in chronological order, see, number one is this. Right after his baptism, Jesus went into a 40-day fast. So just think about him when you're struggling with your 21-day fast. 40 days, no food, no water, nothing. This is right after his baptism in Mark 1, 12. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. So he went out alone 40 days right after he came out of that fast. Miracles, signs, wonders, all started to happen after the fast was over. Guys, can we get a little bit excited about what could take place in the unity and the 21 days of fasting and prayer of the miracles, signs, and wonders that we are going to see outside of these four walls? Some of you are going to come in and be like, I prayed for my neighbor. I prayed for my work. I prayed and they got healed. Or I prayed. We are going to see such great things in the midst of the fast and after the fast, and it will roll on. Because we are committing to be close to the Father. The next one is this. Very early in the morning. Selah. Anyone? Morning people in here? Not many. Oh, a couple. Okay. Yep, I'm with you. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 1.35. The interesting thing is that everyone was looking for him while he was praying, and he told his disciples right after he was done that it was time to go in a new direction. See, it was for purpose. There was direction given to him in that time of solitude, and they moved on to the next place. See, there's always purpose. Purposeful solitude, not isolation. Luke 6, 12 through 13, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him. Again, do you see that? Purpose in his solitude. And then he calls his disciples to, to him. Can you imagine? They must have gotten so excited every time he was alone. He's like, what's he going to teach us? What's he going to show us? Where are we going next? Oh, my gosh. Um, Matthew 14, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. That was a hard day. He's like, I'm still here alone, alone. <laughs> John 7, 10, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. This was a 90-mile walk from Galilee to Jerusalem, so he had about five days all by himself. And so we've got to look at our lives, look at our times, be intentional. Luke 11, 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you see the purpose, intentionality again in his solitude? This is two scriptures, Mark 14, 26 and Luke 22, 39 that go together. When Jesus and his disciples had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And this is into Luke. That this was Jesus' usual place to pray when he was in Jerusalem. See, we have to kind of find what that usual place is for us. We have to be intentional about that usual place. There's something special about that usual place. Maybe it's a time. Maybe it's a place that you go. Maybe, I don't know what that looks like for you, but we have to be intentional. I tell you what, I have to be super intentional because the moment my kids wake up, I am never alone. So you have to, so some of you are going, I'm not a morning person. If you don't have four kids, that's great. Do it whenever you want. But for me, I have to get up very early to be able to have time to start my day well. Otherwise, I am the mean mom. So that's just how it rolls. But the, the biggest thing I want to say to you is to have purposeful solitude, you have to be intentional about making it happen. All right? Okay. So to wait well, we've got to do it unselfishly. We have got to 
get good at purposeful solitude, and we've got to be present in the waiting room. And the last one is this, to wait well, is we wait with faith, hope, and love. We wait with faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 13, this is the one that everybody reads at their weddings. I'm going to read to the end of it. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. See, do we understand that we don't see the full picture? We just don't. And everything that we do down here, as much as I would love to say we see everything, we don't see the full picture yet. See, we've got to get good at living in mystery, don't we? We want solid things all the time, but mystery is a part of following Jesus. All right? But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Isn't that amazing, you guys? We're fully known. We're fully known. And then it says this in verse 13, and now these three remain. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So in this tension that we live in, in the now but not yet, in this time where we see in part, we prophesy in part, what remains? Faith, hope, and love. Which means in the waiting rooms of life, in the now but not yet, we need to be carriers of faith, hope, and love. Faith is that confidence and that devotion. Hope is that expectation. Love is that tender affection, kindness, and preference for others. If you look at Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not disappoint us. It doesn't disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when we have who he is within us, we always have hope. We always have hope. When darkness sits in, there is hope within us. 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love. Faith, hope, and love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The team can begin to come up. C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters. Can you guys believe it? I have two more actually, this one and another one. <laughs> Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. Okay, just think about that for a minute. Love is the one thing that is present. Why? If we're made in the image of God and we're bearers of his image, who is our God? It says that God is love. So therefore, because we bear his image, our love, his love is always present within us. So therefore, we have something to give in the present moment always. If we would just wake up to the now. If we would learn to wait well with faith and trust in his character, with hope that is within us and with the love that is present because we bear his image. So let's embrace the now, but not yet. Let's embrace those things that we're praying for. There's, there's things not yet that we haven't seen, right? There's things we're believing for. There's miracles that we wanna see. There's signs and wonders. 
There are things we've been on our knees for for years and we haven't seen the miracle come to pass. But we have now. We're alive now. There are people in your world now that need you to look up and see them. Now. So let's get good in that waiting room. Because think about waiting rooms. There's always other people there. You're never alone. We're not alone in this waiting. We're in it together. We're here together. C.S. Lewis, last one. You're welcome. The future is of all things. Nothing least like eternity. It is the most temporal part of time. For the past is frozen and no longer flows. And the present is all lit up with eternal rays. Why do I cry all the time? Because I'm present, I guess. <laughs> oh, Father, forgive us for the times where we're running so fast, we forget that you have sent people into our world to love and be present to you, to be bearers of your image, to show them what they could have, to be your followers. May we be a people that are more alive and awake than ever before. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Wake up, O oh sleeper. May we learn to love the waiting room because we find out what really matters in the waiting rooms of life. Because you, you are our very great reward. And the people you sent around us to love and to be loved by, they're like a reward too. <laughs> so may we wake up, bring your gospel, your good news, to those that don't yet know by living lives that are present in Jesus name Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church podcast If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon please be our guest on Sunday For service times and locations please visit libertychurchnyc.com